1: at greenlight.com slash ACAST.
0: Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to CMO Moves. And if you've been tuning in over the past year, especially, but last couple of years, you'll know that sometimes we bring forward some pretty interesting new things and in particular, today we're actually going to dive into the third installment of a very special mini series called People Powered Growth Fueled by Transformative Technology. Now, this mini series we designed in partnership with Lara Bellage, who is the CMO of Intuit, who also recently uh, was promoted. So, she's also the general manager of the strategic partner group. Almost a year ago, Laura and I sat down and said, you know, there are some really tough topics out there right now that all marketers are struggling with. And the umbrella topic's pretty massive, but embedded in there are these different topics that we want to cover through a mini-series. And that's what we set out to do, and that's what we're doing. So 10 months ago, we launched with Susie Deering, the CMO of eBay, and that topic was all around personalized performance, About six months ago, we had Andrea Mallard, the CMO of Pinterest, join us to talk about platform amplification, and today we are going to chat with Deirdre Finley, who is the global CMO of Condé Nast, about agility and speed, which, by the way, those two things are not the same. Despite them sounding the same, they are different, but they do work hand in hand. So we're going to find out what that means today today. And uh, we have a lot of good stuff packed into this episode. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this third installment of People Powered Growth Fueled by Transformative Technology. Enjoy. Today, we are here with two fabulous ladies, Laura Balash, who is the CMO and now General Manager of the Strategic Partner Group of Intuit, as well as Deirdre Finley, who is the Global Chief Marketing Officer of Condé NAS. Laura, Deirdre, hello and welcome to the show. Hi, Hi Nadine. Nadine. Thank
2: you. Oh, good my to God. Be
0: here. Yeah, so great to have <laughs> you both here. We've been having a good time here before we started recording. Not only are you such iconic role models in the industry, but you're also dear friends. And it, this is the first time we've been able to chat together since CAN of last year in Cannes. The CMR- wow, the
2: three Cannes. of us. Yes, yeah, I think so. Yeah.
0: It's been a long time, but you guys have been doing some amazing things. And so I'm excited to hear updates from you. But um, for today, we're going to talk about a very important theme because this is the third part of an important series that we have been working on together, Laura and Intuit, her team and ourselves to come up with the, the top themes that are keeping marketers up today, And this one is a big one because it couldn't be more important. It's about agility and speed. And especially during this time, how important it is to differentiate between the two and also be equipped to deliver on both for different reasons. So before we jump in to where you've been and what you've been doing. I just would love for you to provide a little bit of definition. Like, how do you think about agility and speed? And then we're going to come back to talking a little bit about your roles and why you took them on.
1: Sure. I'm happy to start. I think Deirdre is so great to talk on this topic because she and I have been close over the years. And I know she and I talk about this a lot. And I can tell you that since technology started driving so much of what we do in marketing and communications, agility and speed just became part of the critical how that marketers and communicators do their jobs today. And that's because with technology, the marketplace is moving so much faster uh, than we are. Customers are moving faster than we are. So we have to be on top of our game. The old world of siloed marketing and communications organizations is over. Everything has to move horizontally. You have to move quickly to understand what's the latest going on with your customers to serve their needs. And that has become even more critically important with COVID-19. I know we'll dig into this, but we all had to not only pivot quickly to make sure that our workforce was secure and safe and working from their homes and healthy with their families, but additionally that we were able to pivot our marketing to support our customers. And so speed and agility are both critical, not only in how we deliver for our our employees, but for our customers as well. I couldn't agree more,
2: Lara, Um, especially within the context of COVID-19. I I joke with my team that I feel like I have a different job than I did when (laughs) I started, and that was just six months ago. And the reality is, like, we do not have the luxury of taking months to go from idea to execution, Right. We haven't for some time. Technology was a really big driver of that. But all the surprises that we've had in the business this year have further exacerbated that point. So agility and speed to me is really about creating the culture and the processes to go to market quickly. When I talk about this and I think about this with my team, you know, we talk about it in terms of rapid prototyping and quickly getting things out into market, iterating, making it better and optimizing. We also talk about this notion of experimentation, orientation, which I think is critical. It's actually part of the strategic framework that I've shared with my team. And and the only way we can be agile and and drive the speed to market that is expected of us is if we're comfortable launching things that, kind of this notion of launching in data and making sure that we are taking the time to, to, to gather data and improve our experiences over time. Great. And
0: there's no doubt like the whole world has completely pivoted. There has been so much change in our way that we work with our teams, the way we work with our customers, the way that we lead. And what I think is really interesting at this point in time, what we thought would be sort of short term has become the long term. What has been the most striking difference as you think about what was short will be long for how you think about dealing with this in the next six
2: months? I think the big thing for me is we absolutely need to be able to turn on a dime. I joined Conde Nast at the end of January. And by March, all of my plans that I had put in place in the first four to six weeks were basically irrelevant. They were no longer the plans that I would be able to execute with, with my team. And I didn't have the luxury of panicking. I had to quickly figure out a way to go to market, mobilize the team, empower the team to take advantage of the insights that we were seeing coming out of COVID and react to COVID quickly. I went from having a little bit of runway to establish a vision for the org and build a a long-term strategy for what consumer revenue should look like for our business to executing in the middle of a global pandemic. Now, what's been interesting for us is the U.S. was impacted from a consumer revenue standpoint quickly, but not as much as we saw on the international side. So our international business which was predominantly a, a print business. Uh, and you saw what happened in Italy and Spain with those markets virtually being shut down and, and people being at home. And you can imagine a business that relies so heavily on, on newsstand and and print subscriptions, like how we had to completely upend uh, our model. And so I took this as an opportunity to do what we wanted to do anyway, which is to continue the digitization of the business. The US was further along and you know we had some blueprints in place that we had put in place over the past few years on driving digital subscriptions, driving new direct-to-consumer business models and we quickly took those learnings and applied it to, to our international markets. One of the things that became increasingly obvious to me, was our weekly reporting cadence was no longer good enough. So we started looking at audience development insights on a day-to-day basis, leveraging those audience development insights to see how consumers were engaging with our content differently um, as a result of the, the COVID crisis and understanding how those differences varied pretty considerably when you looked at the international markets that were further along in COVID than we were in the U.S. Uh, And we created systems and tools and processes for optimizing our business based on those real-time learnings that we have uh, on the business. So for me, it's about being way more attuned with our consumer and evolving the business to meet those changing sentiments and feelings and emotions. We pivoted our messaging and our content on a dime and been able to update our creative to make really big decisions around making content available to all consumers without a paywall. We made decisions not to do things. There were times where we actually paused marketing on some of our brands in response to what was happening in the marketplace. And we created kind of net new propositions for our audiences. For example, you know, with self, we saw that home workouts were critical. So leaning into home workout content, leaning into food content with Bon Appetit and creating, you know, a dinner party series through Instagram Live and then a series with Teen Vogue around stay at home with Teen Vogue and some of the content that those audiences needed to optimize their work from home life. And the reality of that is all of the new processes that we've put in place, this ability to react quickly, this looking at the data and increasing cadence, those are going to stick with us. And we believe that while things may change um, in the next six months, we're not going back to the way things were before. And so I feel really confident that the team now has the tools and frankly, the practice of executing quickly and responding to changing user needs quickly, and we were going to take all those learnings and lessons with us.
0: Excellent. And, and and Laura, how about for you? You are a global business, and I'm sure you've been juggling different stages of this pandemic and different responses, but also aligning across the the global organization. How have you been facing this?
1: Yeah. Well, everything that Deirdre is saying is is resonating, and. To your point, Nadine, you know, we have businesses outside of the United States and, and for us, it's exactly what Deirdre was saying. What we like to say is we fall in love with the customer problems. We try to then put our customers always first and, and then innovate and deliver against their needs. And in this case, outside of the United States, we have primarily QuickBooks, which is our source for business support for small businesses and Um, middle market businesses. And then in the United States, we have QuickBooks and, and Canada, we have QuickBooks as well, but we also have a tax business. So we have TurboTax both in the United States and Canada. And so you had so many things going on as you had small businesses just fighting to stay alive across the world. And then you had a significant shift out of the tax season. And so we had our typical you know, go-to-market plans that were still very much based on data and customer insights, but we had to first say, what are those customer problems right now? And the first thing we needed to do is understand that the need was really to get money into the pockets of our customers. And with the government response that was happening across the globe we realized that the first thing we needed to do was support with the stimulus funding and so for example in the united states we quickly said before we even worry about you know delivering against the tax season let's use the tools we have to work with the government and get those stimulus funds in the pockets of our customers so we were able to do that on the turbo uh, tax side on the consumer business side Let's help them with tools, which we were able to do with Mint, which is one of our consumer products. And then let's use something called Intuit Aid Assist, which would allow customers to go on our uh, website, Intuit website, and understand by using AI and ML that they could put in their information. And we were able to tell them of the CARES Act, which in the United States was a significant act that was uh, supported by Congress that got that stimulus funding out. You know, it was 300 pages, though. We were able to distill that and be able to tell people what they qualified for. Uh, Very simple, easy, using AI and machine learning. And then finally, with QuickBooks, we pivoted entirely quickly to give our customers, through our payroll product, support to PPP funding, which was the payroll act that came through the government. And, And we distributed $847 million worth of loans as well as then offered, again, many, many tools to help them run their business. And so, you know, then we were doing everything again to make sure that everybody knew that we were still open for business to file in the United States, as an example, by July 15th. But, you know, we had to do that in days, (laughs) in, in what, like, as Deirdre was describing, you would have taken a couple months at least to have put a vision in place We were pivoting and doing that in days and weeks. And so the headline for me is if you're really in tune with a customer and what their need points are and, and in service to them, then you can deliver in real time and support them. And it's actually going to be accretive to your business over the long haul.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I have so many questions for both of you, because what you're talking about is, it's just massive, just the number of things that have been shifting and repositioning and coming back to agility and speed and, and the fact that we were talking about those things are, are also different. I, I want to come back to that in just a moment, but I want to pause for a second because we haven't actually been able to talk about some of your great victories. So let's quickly take a moment because I know, Deirdre, you just took on this role with Condé Nass uh, This January. 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 Yeah. And Laura, you recently assumed a, uh, more responsibility. Let's take a moment. Deirdre, tell me, you went from Stitch Fix to Condé Nast. What prompted you to do that? It, and, and oh, by the way, wow, did you pick what a time to, to make a move, right? <laughs>
2: yeah clearly, I didn't realize what was going to happen in <laughs> in March. It's a very, very exciting transition for me uh, when the CEO Roger Lynch first approached me about the opportunity. All I could think about was the amazing brands in this portfolio. And so you think about brands like Architectural Digest, and Allure, and Bon Appetit, and Condé Traveler, and Glamour, and GQ, and Vogue, and the New Yorker, and Wired, and the list goes on and on, right? We have over 37 brands that we publish in 26 languages. And these are just amazing brands with considerable equity. So that was really exciting for me. You know, I spent the last little bit of time helping to, to, to build brands and to take brands that might have been known in, for one thing, like Google, when I was at Google, and try and build even greater awareness of Google in the hardware space. Stitch Fix was reinventing, uh, right, the retail industry, and how do you drive awareness and understanding and appreciation of, of that whole new business model. This was a different challenge, and, and one that I hadn't really done before in my recent career, which is taking established brands and, and bringing them into you know creating this 21st century media company that Roger talks about. And so that was what got me excited—the complexities of doing that across so many brands and so many countries—and at a time of this amazing digital transformation—and I was thrilled and excited to be to be part of that the journey. So that was really the impetus for it. But you were right; it, the, the timing is, uh, was a little bit challenging. I started at the end of January. Six weeks later, we're in this global pandemic. In my first six weeks at the company, I realized that, you know, it's going to be challenging or, and exciting to make this pivot a little bit easier in the U.S. because they were further along in the journey, more challenging internationally. But then all of a sudden with COVID and everyone working from home, the, the need to pivot the business to digital increased dramatically. So before when I would you know, make my pitch and, and try and get people on board, everyone's like, yeah, 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 we'll get there. Like, let's build out a roadmap. Now, all of a sudden, I have people and teams coming to me saying, we need what you've been hired to do, which is helping transform consumer revenue by leaning into more digital propositions. So a challenging time, but actually a really exciting time because the company needs exactly what I'm trying to do right now.
0: Wow. No pressure. Okay. You're hired. Now go make it happen tomorrow. <laughs> Excellent. All right. <laughs> no wonder you're, you, you've been tough to reach. Holy cow. Um, <laughs> just, and, a busy, just,
2: just a little busy. Just,
0: just a little busy advancing technology by, you know, accelerating at 18 months. And Laura, wow. You have taken on a whole new world as well. In addition to your CMO role, what would you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, I think uh, Deirdre is so humble. I mean, the work that she has done in all of her roles is just fantastic and the transformation she drives. I'd like to think that my cohort of CMOs, which as you know, Nadine, we're a strong community and we reach out to each other to get advice and support. She's one of those um, wonderful folks that we share tips and tricks with each other. So it's so great seeing her success. Oh, so, likewise,
2: yes. Laura, you have a huge, <laughs> huge support and sounding board, so thank you for that.
1: <laughs> well, that's what I tell people who want to go into marketing and communications. I always say, you know, it's just a community that is cheering for each other, and so you'll never join a more cohesive, collaborative group. I would say, you know, very similar threads to Deirdre's career in that I've been about driving change, both culturally as well as from a organizational and entire marketing and communications go to market standpoint on how do you use technology to harness growth. And that really did parlay nicely when I started it into it. And you know, our brands, as I mentioned, are QuickBooks, TurboTax, and Mint. We had to think about how do we position into it as the corporate brand to rise all boats. And so we've been leaning into really standing for what we stand for, which is our mission to power prosperity. And before the call started, we were laughing about, you know, really you don't brand build anymore, you reputation build. And that is exactly what we have been doing. So the whole plan with Intuit is you build our reputation and you're lifting all boats for all the brands as a strong corporate brand. Really got that going underway and serving our customers. And the opportunity came up with, we had a wonderful individual who decided to leave the company and she was running our strategic partner group which includes a pro-tax business, as well as all of the strategic partners that we do work with, everybody from Facebook to Google to DocuSign to all the banks, the the hundreds and hundreds of banks that we do business with to then also our corporate responsibility agenda. And so that got moved to me as well. And the beauty of that is there are so many synergies. So as you can imagine, we may do partnerships with Facebook and Google that support our small business agenda in terms of supporting our businesses and their businesses and, you know, leveraging the tools that are only better when we come together. But additionally, we, you know, can do a better media buy when we have uh, the force of all of our brands coming together and one group collectively handling that. The other thing that was interesting that comes from thinking about partnerships in a dynamic way and our small business group, phenomenal group of marketers there working with product folks and a huge cross-functional team was able to launch a GoFundMe partnership where they were able to support small businesses by standing up small business GoFundMe crowdsourcing sites just as the COVID-19 epidemic hit. And so you can imagine we actually gave money to our employees to give to these sites and we were able to give millions and millions of dollars to small businesses through that unique partnership. And so you can see where adding that strategic partner group agenda to the marketing and communications agenda, but while still keeping them separate, you're leveraging really a network effect and a co-value effect that comes from bringing different companies together and that one plus one equals three effect that you get from that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I love how you said one plus one equals three. That has stuck with me for many, many years is always the equation for success, right? And I think that comes back to the topic of agility and speed because it's one thing to be agile and it's another thing to be quick. And they work hand in hand, but they are still different. I would love to hear your perspective on that.
2: Yeah, that's a, a great point, Nadine. And the way you know I think about it from an agility standpoint, it's really a, having the ability to move quickly, and and that means having the processes and the systems in place to enable your teams to kind of act on a dime. I would love to say we have all of this, <laughs> but I do feel pretty confident that we have built a very strong foundation of of process and systems to enable the teams to act more quickly. And certainly with COVID, these are muscles that we've built up pretty significantly in the last few months. And then from a speed standpoint, to me, this is about how we enable the team to just get running. And and it's about a lack of fear because I think the biggest enemy of speed is fear. And the team's feeling like if they run too quickly, things aren't going to be perfect and they're going to be penalized for it. And so I've tried to create a culture at Condé Nast and other places that I've worked where we are celebrating both the wins and the losses, because I find that when we do that, it gives people more permission to get things done quickly, launch at 80% instead of constantly working about, uh, worrying about being at 150%. And I especially think about early in my career, I wanted everything to be perfect. Everything had to be at 150%. But the reality is if you're operating at 150%, that means you're not acting quickly enough. And you launch at 80% and then you iterate and improve and build from there. But that's the only way you're going to get to market quickly. So I don't know about you, Laura, but that's kind of how I have been oh, thinking uh, about it.
1: I think that you said it really well. You know, The, the build I would make, it's it's processes and mindset. Um, the processes enable it. The mindset makes it happen. So Love that. you're- you're, you're exactly right. And in fact, <laughs> Deirdre and I have had um, talks about MarTech. And so one of the journeys we've been going on at into it is laying down the marketing technology we need to have those processes to move quickly. And moving to one tech stack uh, has been part of the journey that I've been leading with our chief technology officer and the teams underneath us. And it's been fantastic because in doing so, you're, getting the processes in place and you're creating the mindset that you can do quick AB testing experimentation. In fact, we've launched an experimentation platform to Deirdre's point. You can put work out that isn't hundred percent perfect, but learn from it quickly and then iterate on it. And so there's agility, which is the ability to have this nimbleness to move quickly, the people who have the ability to work in the gray and, and thrive in the gray without a playbook, and they have this inherent agility in them, but it's enabled by the fact that we have the processes such as Martech to make it happen.
2: Yes, Martech is, is the foundation <laughs> for all of this. And we've had countless conversations <laughs> on how important this is, and I, I couldn't agree more, Laura. Wow. Okay.
0: (laughs) You guys are talking MarTech. Um, I'm not sure we have time to discuss 9,000 solutions, but um, we can start. This is like a cocktail party game. Like what's your favorite MarTech solution? Like there are 9,000 of them to choose from. So holy cow. how, How do you actually think about MarTech? Because it is overwhelming.
2: Yeah, I don't think you can pick just one. Right. And so the first question tends to be build versus buy right? Every time I've undertaken this endeavor, it usually ends up as a combination of both. There's some things you want to build given unique best practices that you have in-house, but for the most part, I do think buy is a better option because there are people 100% focused on building out these technologies and provided you can get the integration right, it's an easier way to to get up and running um, more quickly. What I get excited about is less the building of the foundation, but more what it's going to enable me to do. And you know, what I've been thinking a lot about, you know, I talked about the many brands that we have across the Conde Nast portfolio, and you know, we're in 32 markets worldwide. The complexity of the business is pretty immense. And I think today, given the tech solutions that we have in place, we're actually not taking advantage of the insights that we have on our audiences across our brands and frankly, across all of the markets that we are in. And so this infrastructure will uh, enable us to have a 360 degree view of our audiences within brands, but also across brands. And across markets which is pretty powerful when you think about and you know we've been thinking a lot about what the future looks like our ability to deliver um, personalized experiences and the right content to the right person at the right time like that's what gets me really excited i think we're doing a great job today with the infrastructure that we have in place But the possibilities of where we can go from a consumer satisfaction standpoint are are endless um, once we kind of complete this
1: smart tech journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you just, you know, it's not only the personalization, but following the customer on the journey, the ability to be just so much more accretive to them because you know them based on their behaviors and what you've been able to lay down. I would also echo this build versus buy Sentiment that Deirdre has to do this, you have to have an amazing relationship with your chief technology officer. You've got to be doing this hand in glove and finishing each other's sentences. And luckily at Intuit, I have that uh, partnership with our technologists. The thing that they're so good at is technology. So they want to build often, right? You know, their inclination <laughs> is to build. And the reality is, there's a lot of great stuff to buy. Now you have to be discerning. It has to integrate in a fashion that is seamless to Deirdre's point. But what part of our goal as marketers is to do is to educate on the benefits uh, to buying and when appropriate, the benefits to building. But to Deirdre's point, often buying is the better option because you're going to free resources up on the tech side to do more impactful things from perhaps a product standpoint, it's about that is
2: so true. use of the resources. Wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That
2: is so true. And what I find is when you go that build route, everyone thinks they want to build it because they can. And then at the end of the day, no one really wants to be on a two-year project building this thing. And so it, it ends up taking longer than, than you would like.
1: Well, and and then what they do too is they'll lift their heads up. You lift your head up and you realize, gosh, the technology outside moved more quickly than what you did internally because the outside vendor, the partner, that's all they do. It's what are are your core competencies and where do you want to take your tech resources and put them?
0: Wow. Okay. I feel like we need to have a whole nother session on this alone because I cannot tell you how many times I've heard. Can somebody just give me a map? Like, Who's going to solve what best? And I almost feel like that could be like three hour show right
1: there.
2: Pretty much. And Laura and I would like that map too, please.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think every marketer who's honest would like the map.
0: <laughs> it feels like another project I need to take on at some point. Um, but, you know, we're all start trying to keep up with technology you know, when we have futurists come in and talk about how COVID has forced this giant technological shove into the future, and everything is accelerated, like we're still trying to like get our original ideas from ten years ago right with the technology catching up, but we're moving into a different era. Like, how do you think about the future?
1: Yeah, I think that uh, without a doubt, the COVID nineteen situation has created. Rapid velocity of change. So, we look at three areas. One is the expediting of virtual and digital, and how virtual, if you're a small business for QuickBook users, you've got to have learned how to use virtual to do your business. And then, digitally, if you only had a brick and mortar location, now selling your goods and services online is paramount. Finally, money. You know, money in a world where you aren't physically out in the universe and the digitization of that is also a huge trend. And so these three trends, you know, they, they square nicely with Intuit and, and our mission to power prosperity around the world, but they also open up opportunity. Just one example of the future that I think is exciting is We have had a QuickBooks event that we've done in in Silicon Valley and across the globe in different key countries. But in Silicon Valley, as an example, it was a three-day event. And that is now a digital year-round event before 5,000 people went to it in Silicon Valley. And now anybody can go to it virtually. So there is a level of democratization that... This world of COVID-19 and, and move to virtual and digital affords us, and there are some really exciting things that come out of it. Now, we have to participate in a way that's in service to everybody, not only those who are fortunate, but those who are underserved, and you know that's a huge part of our mission, but that is a really exciting development that we see coming in the future.
2: Yeah, I love that you use that word democratization, Laura, because it's one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot, given some of the changes and the advancements that we've seen due to COVID, right? And all of a sudden, people are able to access our content, engage with our brands and our editors in ways that we weren't really delivering on before in scale. And the power of that is pretty immense. Take Vogue, which is you know, one of the, the leading brands in our portfolio, people are obsessed or you know a subset of our audiences are obsessed and super engaged with fashion show content, and that's content and an experience that lives right it, it, pretty much mm. outside of the bounds of anything that you or I and your everyday um, consumer could experience and now. Right we are reimagining what fashion shows are going to look like in the future like big brands are trying to think through like what does this mean for them and i think there's a really interesting role for us to play in thinking about like, does it become virtual? Can we use technology to bring everyday consumers into the fashion show and kind of mimic what that experience has been for a select few and and bring it to extended audiences? And so a lot of the ideas that we've been playing with is like, how do we take advantage of the level of access that technology through COVID has afforded to our audiences and build from there to create even more compelling experiences down the line.
0: I can't help but, but chuckle to myself a little bit, Deirdre, because like, the whole world has been wearing pajamas for the last six months. So I, I want to know like, what Vogue is going to be like in the future, for sure. Like, and, and Juicy Couture
2: definitely got a leg up early on, right? So, um, But if you look at our content, we've, we've pivoted, right? Like, the number one interest right now in, for commerce, which has been huge for us, is around face masks. Who even mm-hmm. thought about a face mask? before the last six months and now we write an article on face masks and like face masks sell out right and and it's because people need to figure out like how can they be their best fashion forward sense in this new itself in this new reality so it you know i think the need is still there it's just how we deliver on it and, and what consumers are looking for is slightly different like i've never bought more flip-flops and sweatpants (laughs) that I have (laughs) in the last few months. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as we say,
1: we fall in love with the customer problems at Intuit. So in your case, it's, you know, what is the perfect lip color when you're on Zoom? (laughs) Yeah.
2: How do you optimize your eye makeup for when no one's looking at half your face? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Hey, we joke, but I will say when I look at the, the content that people are engaging with during this time period, sure, at the beginning, the bulk of it was around this virus, making sense of it. Everyone was really afraid, but it was really interesting to see how the content needs pivoted as people got more used to working from home, became more informed about the virus. It was really around coping and how do you optimize life and how do we help people work from home optimally? How do we help people navigate the, the, the cooking needs? Like I went from never cooking to cooking every day. The need for cooking content and recipes and how can I make things from the items that are already in my, in my pantry? And then to the lighter, I just need escapism content. And that is what's happening with the Royals and celebrity content. So it's been very interesting to see how we've gone from very serious needs from a content perspective to being able to serve all of the needs of our audiences. It's the power of our brands.
0: So fascinating. We're going to have to come back and do a lot more on this. I have a feeling like we could just like go on and have wine delivered, can keep talking for another three hours. Why not? Um, (laughs) But unfortunately I need to wrap this up in, I have only one quick question left for you and Laura, I know you've already answered my crazy question a couple times now. So I'm going to switch it up a little bit, make it a little bit different. And and Deirdre, you get to go first. How about that? You haven't answered it at all. If money or talent were no object. What one challenge in the world would you solve right now?
2: For those of you who don't know me, I'm, I'm an, an African-American woman, uh, and, and CMO of a, of a big company. And given some of the racial injustice challenges that we saw with the murder of, of George Floyd and, and others come to the fore this year, I think it, it would be irresponsible of me not to say racial injustice. It is an issue that I live with every day that impacts me in meaningful ways at work, at home. There's not a minute that I don't think about uh, how racial injustice has impacted my life. And so if I could devote all of my energy to champion the cause of racial equality, that, that is where I would, I would spend my time.
0: Mm.
1: We definitely will keep
0: talking about that for sure. Um, Laura, how about you?
1: Well, first, let me say, Deirdre, it pains me that we are still having this conversation decades and decades. And if there's any silver lining in any of this, it's all of us realizing that this has gone on way too long. I can say I'm proud of our company. I know your company, too. We've been very vocal about that this is not okay. You know, my company right now is going through a process of trying to build a a plan that drives systemic change. And we're taking a little bit more time than we wanted to, but it's so that we have that durable change because it is, it is unacceptable. So along these lines, the thing that I would offer up to the world with you know, talent, money wasn't an object, is <laughs> I got to say it, a vaccine for this thing. Um, oh, now, no. <laughs> yesterday... <laughs> Yesterday, and and you know, getting to Deirdre's point that that vaccine gets in every single person's hands, that this is given immediately to every person, no matter where they're from, their zip code, the color of their skin, their sexual orientation. We've got to make sure everyone gets this as soon as possible, and um, that we flourish together and not as a divided world. <sighs>
0: Wow, what an inspirational way from you two ladies to end this podcast. You've given us so much to think about and I just really value you both as impressive leaders of great companies who are gonna do great things for the world, but also are just really great friends. So thank you.
2: Oh, thank you, Nadine. Thank you, Nadine. Always a pleasure. <laughs> Laura, next time we do this with a glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> of course,
1: you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Nadine, you're invited, of course.
0: Oh, I'm <laughs> pushing my way in, whether you like it or not. You know how I roll. So,
1: <laughs> well, thank you so
0: much. Enjoy your weekend. Stay safe. Keep away from the fires. Hopefully, your families, your friends, your colleagues are all doing well. You're both there in the Bay Area. All my hopes and prayers go out to everyone there. Oh,
2: Aw, thank thanks you. so much. Have a great weekend, thanks, Nadine. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, I would love your help in sharing CMO Moves with one of your friends or colleagues who you think might enjoy it too. And if you have time, I would really love your review or ratings on Apple or SoundCloud. So thanks again and have a great day.